Welcome to episode 11 of Insider Investing. On this episode, we cover a very interesting topic which affects all our personal finances and investments, which is taxation. Over the last 15 or 16 years, Webhav and I have worked with the ultra-wealthy and absorbed certain best practices when it comes to how they optimize taxes when it comes to their portfolios and their income. One of the most interesting things we cover on this topic is the new changes on taxation when it comes to crypto, the concept of tax loss harvesting, and how we can use deferment to our advantage to optimize our taxes. Hi Webhav, uh, welcome back to episode 11 of uh, Insider Investing. You know, there's one thing that I realized uh, earlier today and today is we're recording this on 13th of March. It's a Sunday and I realized that I haven't figured out my advanced taxes for the year. And it's that sinking feeling that you get because now you have to figure out how to get the money to pay the tax. And I feel every year that I could have been a little smarter about my uh, tax planning. Having advised a lot of H&Is in the past, I feel that potentially all of us are not as on the ball on our taxes as the ultra-wealthy are. And today, I thought it will be good for us to cover the best practices. What are the things that we should be thinking about? We all know that you are a chartered accountant ranker. I am not. I have just done finance and strategy. But I think it's important also for me to say right at the top of this show that all that we discuss here is not specific tax advice. It is our learnings from having dealt with uh, high net worth individuals about how they manage their taxes. So what I would strongly encourage is each one of us to consult our own tax advisors before we act on this. That said, Webhav, welcome back again to the show. Thanks, thanks, Sandeep. What is the one big thing that you feel that the wealthy do when it comes to taxes but that each one of us don't interesting question sandeep and it's it's a season of uh, taxation everywhere i go i read about uh, investing in equity link saving schemes to save taxes we get enough number of calls uh, from uh, different advisors who are advising on investing in tax planning instruments to your point on what uh, high net worth individuals do versus what uh, most of the other in, uh, investors do is to focus on two things. A, they convert their income largely into capital gains. And capital gains have a preferred tax treatment versus any other category of income. And B, they don't pay taxes very frequently. And maybe in the subsequent part of this podcast, we can touch upon both of these points. Yeah, I think what you mean by that is that they pay taxes, but they plan for uh, uh, their taxes. I think let's go a little deeper in that and let's think of taxation at two levels. One yeah. is when we earn an income from our core profession, uh, yeah. salary and other things. Yeah. And then the second stage of taxation occurs when we have invested that money and uh, uh, we get gains out of it. So let's first focus on the sources of income. And let's begin with what most of us have as a primary source of income, which is our salary. How do you think we should be thinking about optimizing our salary uh, or tax on the salary income? Well, it's a great point, Sandeep. And unfortunately, all of us know that there are very few avenues available to save taxes uh, because 
your deductions are restricted in a uh, large way uh, select deductions are allowed uh, nothing beyond that but uh, look at it from government's perspective and that will possibly help our users better in deciding how they should plan their taxes what government is telling you when you earn salary income is to give you deductions on two accounts either you help in capital formation okay that you can do by investing in select uh, investment schemes and making these investments will allow you to save taxes or mm-hmm. certain nature of expenses which are unavoidable and critical for the assessee if you spend money on those expenses government will give you deduction on taxes so broadly you can classify tax planning tools in two parts investment mm-hmm. related tools and expense related tools in investment related tools if you invest in equity linked saving schemes so which means you're contributing to capital formation in equity that will give you a benefit of deduction if you invest in fixed income schemes which are promoted by government in form of epfo or nps where you are investing money for long term and helping government mobilize resources for the growth of uh, country there you get benefit on taxes or on expense side when if where you have some critical expenses which you are incurring whether it is education of your child which again uh, is important uh, on the development of skill side or you are spending money on any kind of potential sh- liability which may occur to you uh, in terms of health insurance in terms of life insurance so so that's that's how the government is looking at it and that will possibly help uh, our uh, users better in deciding which way they want to move yeah i think that's a great framework web one is you said that there are certain tax benefits that you get on account of doing the right investments and the second is by capturing some of your expenses correctly yeah i think expenses like you said are typically the unavoidable ones you won't incur an expense just to save tax yeah but uh, uh, but on the other hand in the first category which is the category of investments there is a lot of optimization to be done we have written about this in the past where this whole thing that elss is always right for you is a question that needs to be asked there are some cases where each one of us have a part of our allocation to fixed income and their fixed income uh, returns from the pf schemes are potentially better on a net of tax basis than what i would get from other fixed income opportunities yeah therefore it may be important to prioritize fixed income investing out of this uh, pool as opposed to equity investing out of the tax savings pool what do you what do you think of that weber no that's an important uh, point sandeep and uh, i'd also uh, thought about it when you uh, and uh, today is a great day to have this conversation where i read this uh, Uh, article that government has reduced the rates to 8.1% but 8.1% post tax in an era where fd returns are down to 4.5% is a great alternate to any fixed income instrument Correct. especially because it comes with government of india guarantee they are not taking any kind of uh, risk and still generating 8.1% post tax returns yeah we yeah. discussed this in the past and in equity the return differential between elss schemes and normal equity schemes is negligible or correct not there but in case of fixed income instrument the return differential itself is large enough for you to consider epfo over elss in select cases hmm. so that's the framework with which uh, uh, i think uh, our investors uh, should think in case uh, 
they have uh, limited uh, capital they want to optimize that for long term then obviously equity is the better asset class but in case they have reasonable amount of capital where they have ability to allocate money across asset classes priority when it comes to tax planning instruments should be given to fixed income correct absolutely and that's a very helpful construct uh, for each one of us to be aware especially as we are in the last uh, 10 15 days of uh, this financial year to make that investment the other point is now let's focus on another type of income that we get at the top before we get into the investment tax understanding which is the income that we get on account of esops now the interesting thing is that very few people know that you get quote unquote deemed income or income is assumed to have been arisen the moment you exercise esops yeah uh, and that's a very strange concept we were having this conversation in our office when one of our colleagues was exercising her esops from a previous company yeah and she was not able to reconcile the fact that she has to pay tax on that <laughs> and the most interesting part is most of the times this tax outgo is much more than what you are paying to buy the esops yeah let's explain this concept of perquisites tax webhav because i think it is an underestimated part of uh, the gains that you get from esops Yeah, uh, great point, Sandeep, and uh, all of us have gone through that heartache of uh, paying disproportionate taxes on ease of exercise. What government uh, here is trying to say is that if you have got your ease ops at certain price, and today's fair value is significantly higher than your strike price, then the difference between the two should be deemed as perquisite. You are getting that mm-hmm. benefit because you work for the company. and because that expense is deductible for the company the recipient of esop benefit should be paying tax on that income so let's uh, build on this through an example if you get shares of a company esops of a company at 10 rupees okay at the point of exercise mm-hmm. if the fair value of the stock has gone up from 10 rupees to 100 rupees then 90 rupees is a benefit that company is giving to an employee against that benefit company is claiming expenses in their profit and loss account now government is saying we can't lose taxes at both the ends if company is claiming expenses then someone has to pay tax on this income so therefore the beneficiary which mm-hmm. in this case is employee is expected to pay tax on this notional gain of 90 rupees now why i am calling it notional is because in most of the cases employees choose not to liquidate the either they choose not to liquidate or they don't have any liquidity uh, in the stock uh, of the company where they can get a uh, realization yeah absolutely so this is an interesting point imagine a situation where like the example that you gave i have invested 10 rupees to get this stock i have got stock worth 100 rupees so on the 90 rupees let's assume we pay tax of 30% so yeah. 27 rupees goes out as tax so i have paid not that not only that 10 rupees but also 27 rupees so outgo from my side is close to 37 rupees okay now while i've got stock worth 100 your point is that if yeah. that stock is not saleable if i'm not able to liquidate the stock uh, how do i pay for the 37 rupees which i had to pay for uh, getting these options and which is why one of the clear things that we see as a behavior among smarter people who understand esops is that they exercise esops 
only when a either there's a liquidity or second where the esop is about to lapse and you cannot exercise it after a certain date and you don't have a choice that is the time you exercise esops and the other point is also then you were referring to this when you talked about how the wealthy manage this is that they defer the tax as much as possible and the same thing with esops you exercise the esops as late as possible unless one of the two situations arises which is a there's a liquidity event happening your company is up for sale uh, the stock is listed so you can transact on the stock or there is a buyback or some such event is happening so either in that situation or if i have left the company or my vesting period is coming to an end and i don't have a choice but to exercise it there also you will exercise only if you see meaningful upside uh, you will have to do cost benefit analysis so in in, in this given example uh, you are paying 37 rupees where the fair market value is 100 it makes sense to exercise but imagine a scenario where uh, your exercise price is 10 rupees and fair market value is 20 rupees it may not be beneficial to exercise so each scenario should be evaluated on a standalone basis depending on the details of the situation yeah and the other the last point on this perquisites uh, amount is that this gain of 90 rupees gets added to your regular income in that year and can has the potential of changing the tax slab for your entire income yeah so yeah. you might have a situation where and as we as we know that at different slabs the surcharges change or the tax rates change and after a certain point the surcharges change yeah. right so you as your income level goes higher uh, you pay a higher amount higher percentage of tax yeah if because of the exercise of esops you have a larger perquisites tax you end up in a situation where you on your overall pool you are ending up paying a higher amount of tax and this is something which causes a lot of heartache especially when going back to the point that you don't realize this income yeah. you are not getting the income and yet you have to pay tax you have to pay a higher rate of tax on your other income just because this happened so the esop taxation is a conundrum of its own no government is becoming sensitive to this and they've allowed certain startups to defer uh, taxes at the point yes. of sale so which is a positive step uh, i'm hoping that uh, sooner or later government will allow all the companies or all the employees to defer their tax yeah we'll be strong proponents of that because for our uh, employees for all the e- startups in the ecosystem and india as a startup economy i think that will be a huge huge uh, positive uh, webhub now let's switch gears to the investing side uh, and this is something that you and i have seen very very closely that when it comes to their money the ultra wealthy uh, factor in taxes in a major way when deciding where to invest yeah uh, taxes don't guide the investment necessarily by themselves but they are an important factor in that and one of the biggest focus areas that i've seen uh, the hni's work on is the concept of tax deferment that you will pay tax only when you know as late as possible yeah. let's talk about this a little bit in the context of how taxes are paid in india on the capital gains so let me explain this with an example so let's let's take a scenario of two portfolios now hmm. one portfolio is managed directly by an investor and the uh, second portfolio is managed through a mutual fund scheme where you have an option to postpone your 
tax liability. Let's say in both the cases, you start with 100 rupees. After one year, you have uh, uh, generated a gain of 20 rupees in both these portfolios. In first case, you decide to book the profits to move into other stocks because you hmm. believe that uh, you realized maximum potential from this investment. You should change the composition of the portfolio. The moment you do that, you are subject to tax liability on the gains of 20 rupees, which uh, if I take uh, an ideal scenario will be a 12% tax or 11% tax, including surcharge on long term capital gain or a most likely case would be a 13-14% tax because some of the transactions would be short term in nature. Mm -hmm. So end up paying 13 to 14% tax on a gain of 20 rupees. So that means your capital which is uh, available to grow in the next year goes down from 120 rupees to 117 rupees. Correct. In the second case, when you invested the same amount through a mutual fund scheme, fund manager gets this feeling that he needs to change the portfolio. He will change that portfolio within the scheme without you having to pay any tax. Yeah. And because as all of us know that mutual funds on their internal transactions is not subject to pay any taxes. There is no drop in the deployed capital for investors who invest through mutual fund. If you keep uh, running this cycle year after year, mm. over a 10 year period, there can be a difference of one and a half, two percent per annum on returns purely on account of ability to defer the taxes. At 18% return versus 20% return can be a outcome mm. and you know uh, over a long yeah. uh, period of time 2% compounded year after year can have a difference of 40-50% on your initial investment capital. So that's that's how uh, investors think about deferment. Your uh, objective is to uh, maintain the dynamism without necessarily having to pay taxes at regular interval. I think this is a very important point and I think it arises from one concept of taxation uh, which is that when it comes to capital gains or investment gains, taxes are paid only when the income is booked as opposed to on the value of the asset going up. Yeah. At least for individual investors, people like you and me, if my portfolio goes from 100 to 110, we don't have to pay tax on the 10 rupees unless and until we book those gains or we sell those instruments to get the profit in our account. Yeah. And which is why sometimes there is this concept of periodic booking of gains. It is a psychological comfort that you get. You might actually be worse off from a tax perspective because you are paying taxes much earlier than you need to. Now, when it comes to mutual fund and you gave an excellent example uh, on uh, direct equity investing, versus mutual fund investing in equities where the taxes need to be paid uh, in case of mutual funds when you exit the mutual fund one or two or three years later whereas in case of stocks if you are trading on the stock portfolio you will pay tax on a year on year basis. The difference is actually however far more acute when it comes to fixed income or debt mutual funds or debt investing. In case of debt funds or uh, debt uh, things like bonds, uh, fixed deposits, etc., you are paying tax practically on a monthly or a quarterly basis because that income is getting booked in your hands on a monthly or a quarterly basis when it comes to uh, fixed deposits. But when it comes to mutual funds, if you are invested in the fund for 
say one or two years you are paying tax only when you sell out on the units of the fund so you are deferring your tax from a quarter on quarter basis to maybe two or three years later and the last thing is that the magic of the tax rates when it comes to debt mutual funds more than three years you get taxed at a lower rate and you are able to uh, get the benefit of indexation so on the debt side and maybe wherever you can illustrate this better on the debt side the gap is actually much higher than it is on the equity side no it's a great point sandeep and uh, fixed income investing is something which signifies uh, the point of uh, uh, tax paid by wealthy individuals versus uh, uh, people like us uh, to the maximum levels i've yet to come across a high net worth investor who keeps money in fixed deposits of bank because they understand the fact that when they keep money in interest bearing instrument they have to pay tax at marginal rate of tax the moment they use mutual fund as a platform or as a vehicle they can convert that interest income into a capital gain and mm-hmm. government is far more sympathetic to capital gains versus interest income so again let me use an example uh, to simplify it for our uh, listeners so imagine you have 100 rupee to invest you invest uh, in a uh, bank fd at 6% uh, rate of interest every year you will get payout of that interest income tax recognizes that income as income of current financial year the moment you realize that return you have to pay or even if you don't realize that uh, return you have to pay tax on accrual basis so in case you invested money for 9 months basis 9 months you'll have to pay tax on that income so if you have invested 100 rupees if you generate 6 rupees on that you pay tax let's for a moment take 30% as rate of tax your return after tax will go down to 4.2% mm-hmm. again the same logic of no deferment uh, next year starting with a base of 104.2 and you are generating 6% on that again you will pay tax and uh, once you complete a cycle of 3 years you will have about 113 114 rupees as your net of tax returns in hand mm-hmm. now imagine you invest the same money into mutual funds and uh, take 3 year as holding period and instead of receiving your income in form of interest income you receive your income at maturity in form of capital gains there are two advantages one there is deferment because as you mentioned you pay taxes only when you realize your income mm-hmm. b you get a benefit on account of indexation indexation right. is nothing but government is giving you relief uh, to the extent inflation is prevalent or impacting your value of money mm-hmm. so using the same example if you are generating 6% in debt mutual fund for 3 year but because inflation is 5 year 5% mm-hmm. average for 3 years year after year you will be paying tax only on 1% return and that too at a subsidized rate of 20% in the same example if you invest money in the same bank instrument using mutual fund as a platform after 3 year instead of 113 in the first example net of tax the money which you will receive in hand will be 170 117 and half so the difference wow. is 3 and half 4% over your investment tenure which becomes larger and larger as you keep increasing your investment tenure yeah it's a very interesting point you know 3 and a half 4% but on one hand you had 113 and on the other hand you had 117 so you've actually made 4 rupees extra on a base of 13 
you are potentially making 30% higher gains yeah, than absolutely. you would have done in case of fixed deposits. And you're absolutely right. Rarely ever have we come across an ultra wealthy individual who has kept money in uh, fixed deposits. They're always preferring mutual funds on that side. And the same thing applies in case of stocks. Stocks versus mutual fund equity uh, investing. Mutual fund equity investing ends up scoring above stocks for this very reason. Now let, let me go back to one major asset class which seems to be getting everyone's attention. And obviously we are uh, waiting for the regulators to bless it as a regulated instrument to be able to invest in. But as a digital asset now, the current budget recognized crypto. And for the first time starting 1st April, these will be taxed in a different manner. We have explained to everyone the concept of taxation when it comes to the TDS element and when it comes to how when the gains are booked on crypto assets. So first, uh, let me cover the TDS part. Government wants to bring uh, income which is generated by crypto investors under the ambit of tax. And therefore, mm-hmm. they have introduced the concept of tax deduction at source. So every time you will sell your crypto positions, the exchange through which you are trading will have to deduct TDS at the rate of 1%. Mm-hmm. That 1% allows government to capture your transaction in your annual income statement. On the taxation side, government is uh, uh, obviously there are a lot of ambiguities which needs clarity from the regulators in terms of uh, what will be the treatment of the outstanding gains on 31st March. For example, if you bought a Bitcoin at $1,000 and on 31st March, uh, the price is 38000 do we still have to pay gains or uh, taxation from 1000 or we'll have to pay taxes from 38000 onwards is uh, yet to be clarified by the government. But on a fundamental basis, what government is saying is uh, the treatment of taxes will be very similar to how government treats taxation on lottery or speculative gains, mm-hmm. where you pay flat 30% tax on gain, regardless of your income tax slab. Mm-hmm. So even if on your normal income, you are paying no tax or 5% tax or 10% tax, you'll still have to pay 30% tax on your gains from crypto investing. Mm-hmm. Second, you won't be able to carry forward any losses. Mm. Third, you won't be able to offset your gains in crypto against losses in any other asset class. Mm-hmm. So typically, as you know, we can offset uh, intra-categories uh, or inter-categories uh, gains and losses. But mm-hmm. in this case, offsetting will be allowed only within the same segment, that too within the same year. Mm-hmm. So if you have... Uh, uh, profits on Ethereum and losses on Bitcoin in the same financial year, you'll be able to offset. However, in case your gains in Bitcoins have got realized in this financial year, whereas your losses in Ethereum are getting realized in the next financial year, you won't be able to offset them. So yeah. government is very clear that they want to bring in uh, this income under the ambit of tax and also has introduced an extremely uh, tough uh, tax regime for this asset class. Yeah, and therefore, it's very important for those of our listeners who are investing in crypto assets to now have the right tax advice when it comes to this part of their portfolio. And I am sure that the chartered accounting community will come up to the uh, challenge and they will understand the taxation. Because as I read somewhere recently, nearly one crore investors in India have taken exposure to uh, crypto assets which means a lot of more work for chartered accountants all over the country. The last part, Weber, and 
you know this is something that we hear in popular uh, discussion is this concept of tax loss harvesting yeah. uh, and while it's not our place to recommend for or against it uh, it's important to understand what it is and why people uh, do it um, and maybe i think especially in a time when this quarter as we speak a lot of stock portfolios are down uh, let's go a little deeper into understanding what is tax loss harvesting whether right or wrong why do some investors do it there are two ways in which uh, typically uh, tax uh, planning or tax uh, optimization can be done let's not use the word planning because uh, people may perceive it uh, negatively but tax optimization can be done so first is up to 1 lakh rupees of long term capital gain there is no tax incidence okay? correct so we recommend all our investors that if they are sitting on gains and they have not booked any gains in the current financial year at least up to an extent of 1 lakh rupees they should book gains so that it becomes exempt from any kind of tax second in case you are sitting on losses you can book those losses today and carry forward these losses for a period of 8 years to offset against any potential future gains so which is exactly what tax loss harvesting is you enter into a transaction today to carry forward uh tax uh, uh capital losses in your balance sheet for a period of 8 years which you can utilize to offset your future tax liability yeah and you know the the important thing however to know is that this is not as easy to mm. execute as it sounds if i have one stock which is sitting in a loss i sell it to book a loss with the view that i will buy it back what i often see is that uh, you know investors don't end up buying it back instantly you end up buying it back either a few days later you want to stagger your purchase all of that confusion happens and sometimes you miss the big picture uh, that you wanted to hold the stock in the first place for long term gains so i think uh, important to be aware of the concept of tax loss harvesting but certainly not uh, you know it doesn't probably work for everyone that we know absolutely and uh, i would prefer the first approach over the second one where at least to an extent of 1 lakh rupees you save taxes uh no this is very helpful webhav i think uh, from for me two big takeaways one that uh, each one of us needs high quality tax advice to ensure that our portfolios uh, we are not paying extra tax and also even at the top when it comes to our income we are handling our taxes better the second and that's an equally important takeaway for me is that how much do investment professionals advisors wealth managers distributors need to know about taxation because to be able to uh, recommend the right set of instruments to your client you need to know how taxes work on that note thank you webhav again and we look forward to doing this again very soon great great thanks thanks a lot sandeep we hope you enjoyed tuning in today and got some great takeaways you can listen to the episode on our website or wherever else you listen to your podcast if you wish to reach out to us follow deserve on linkedin or you can write to us at social@deserve.in at